Welcome to episode 59 of the Animal Addicts podcast. On today's podcast, Casey talks about an important fossil discovery, and I talk about a dog that's helping with conservation efforts over in Africa. We learn about two new favorites from Europe, and our animal of the week is both common and not. You'll see what I mean when we get there. So let's get to it. Episode 59 of the Animal Addicts podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 59 of the Animal Addicts Podcast. As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And today we're going to talk about a whole new group of animals. But before we get into that, what have you been up to since last I saw you, Casey? Torture. Torture? From my turtle. What did your turtle do? So, I decided to like, I don't like having a tank, but I have like no options with my accommodations at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make it give it more stimulation for him so i got some mopani wood and thing with mopani wood and this is probably most woods that especially ones that will sink is you have it will stain the water into this brownish color so at first what i did was i soaked it in buckets of water about three or four times before i even put it in i finally put it in his tank it still stained the water within a few days nice so I decided the other day I was going to drain out the water so it looks clearer and cleaner. Mm-hmm. And so I had it set up where my siphon, which is a piece of shit that <laughs> okay. I got from when I worked at the pet store. Mm-hmm. And I, at a certain point, I just died because I, there's a certain, because I have to like scoop out the water and let it run down the siphon first before I actually stick it back down and start pumping it out. Because okay. that's how much of a piece of shit this thing is. Okay. So if it's a low water level, it's hopeless. So <laughs> I had two buckets set up so I could switch the siphon from one to the other, and that was working fine. But then the water level kept on getting lower and lower, and it's like, so I got my hose, and I started filling it up. I had the lid on to make sure it didn't go flying out. <laughs> and that way I could have water running in and still so the I wouldn't get air pockets in my filter. Okay. And my turtle... First off, when I put these pieces of Mohani wood in, he was terrified of them. Aww. He would not go near them. He was like swim like then in one direction. Then if he get in like five inches of it, he bolted the other way. Aww, and then guy. all of a sudden he gets all of his bravery as I'm trying to fix this problem <laughs> and dislodges the siphon. So I had to stop draining it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> So hopefully it will be fine and I won't have stained water anymore still, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) And also I got him one, I want to give him some enrichment and like I know some people will use like ping pong balls because they're big enough and because they're like, they're pretty tough, Mm -hmm. I'm air filled that they can't, they won't swallow it. Mm -hmm. So it's not a choking hazard. He won't go near it. He literally goes after and bites anything I put in his tank except the damn ping pong ball. <laughs> what other stuff do you put in his tank? Lettuce. Oh, okay. Um, unfortunately, the hose he will also bite. Okay. <laughs> so I have to watch him while I'm filling up his tank whenever I do water changes. Oh my gosh. 
Well, they're kind of nasty. The one thing he won't bite is cuttlebone. <laughs> I don't know why. Of course not. What he's supposed to bite. I mean, yeah. he's supposed to bite lettuce and stuff too, but. So yeah. <laughs> and I've had of all my pets. He's the oldest. He's seven. And he's a reddier, or what is he? Yeah, he's okay. a reddier. He's a little turd. They're, I love them. They have attitudes, man. Yes. They're just nasty. I love turtles because they like have such personality, but they can be such a pain too. Yeah. Especially Reddit sliders. They're they're assholes. Yeah. At least he doesn't snap at me like some other sliders have. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Though I do remember one time he reached back while I was holding him. He's like, I'll get you. <laughs> like, uh, no. Yeah. I Most of the time he'll just pee on me. That happens. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That would happen with the box turtles too. Mm -hmm. um, I love all right. box turtles. Box turtles are the best. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I also would love a tortoise. When I move out on my own, I plan on having... I need a yard, a decent-sized backyard, So I, because I want to rescue a sulcata from the San Diego Turtle and Tortoise Society. Then you are going to have to have money. Yeah. Because you have to have an actual good-sized backyard for that. Mm -hmm. So, also, that means you're probably still going to be living out in the boonies where we grew up. <laughs> One of those places. Anyway. All right. Well, there you go. Your turtle was difficult. Yes. Um, I... Decided it has been a while since I have been performing my duty of watching nature <laughs> documentaries to warn people about. Yeah. So I have almost finished The Secrets of the Whales. Um, I said, again, fuck you orcas and skipped right past that. So now do I've it. done two, three, and four. So I'm going to have to go back and watch the orca one to finish it out, which is, I'm sure, going to be not safe. But not, it'll be different category, though, because it's not going to be the baby we're following. It's going to be them killing everything else. Um, Is that the only dolphins that it focuses on? Yeah, it's literally just four. It's only four episodes. It's oh, yeah. The orcas, the belugas, and the humpbacks and the sperm whales. Mm. Anyway, so I watched the sperm whale one, the um, ocean giants, and I'm just going to start off right off the bat. It is safe. That is the safest one we've had yet. Um, the worst part is a dead giant squid, which is a small giant squid, but you see a giant squid laying next to a full-grown man, so that's kind of cool. Oh, really? Anyway, because it was... enjoy it hunting? How would they? <laughs> it's so deep down there. I know. This is when they had a... James Cameron had to go down in his little, like, you know, submarine <laughs> thing to, like, go and film them at all, because I was wondering that, too, when they watched them keep going down. I'm like, how are they doing that? Because that's really deep. Like, mm. there's no light, and it's a pressure. It's insane, so they have to be yeah. in something. They swim about two miles deep. Yeah, it's crazy. They go down really far... They are cool, and it is really eerie, the way they show them, um... Why am I so young? Why? It's so frustrating. You um, an IV of caffeine, don't you? I know, but I don't dare right now. <laughs> That's the problem. That's probably why, because I haven't had caffeine in, like, four days now. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um... But it's really eerie. They show them napping, and they're napping vertically. Oh, yeah. I remember weird. when they discovered that. That's so weird. Because, like, they... They die for like two hours at a yeah. time and they exhaust you. And how they, how the brains work is so cool. This is also based off of several studies on dolphins. Um, Do they talk about it? Uh, they just talk about the fact they have the biggest brain. Yeah. So what they do is what's called unihemispheric slow wave sleep. Dolphins do this too. Basically, what they'll do is they'll shut off one half of their brain mm, because. They didn't talk about that. All cetaceans are conscious breathers. They have to constantly think of every time they take a breath. So they're not like us who are automatic breathers. So they have to think every time they breathe. So part of their brain has to stay on while they sleep. That's crazy. And they do it. Switch off. It's cool. Switchy switchies. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah. So they show them. So it's cool to see them too because I haven't seen a lot of footage of sperm whales. And they're like the tiny little bottom jaw. 
And this massive head. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And only the bulls have teeth. <gasps> well, I think that might just See, be they didn't the even talk jaw. about. They didn't even talk about that. No, they have to all have it on the bottom because they're definitely showing just females at one point. Yeah. But anyway, so they follow these three different groups of them. And I have to say of all the whales documentaries, it was the most boring. <laughs> Because it was just, they didn't really, they talked about it somewhat, but there just wasn't really that much about them. They're following in one group in the Caribbean, um, they have a young female and they're worried about them because a lot of the babies have been dying in boat collisions and in in being caught up in, um, you know, fishing net and all kinds of human debris. So that's a big problem. So they've had an issue with the youngsters making it. So spoiler alert, when they come back, she's made it another year, so yay. Um, and then they follow the ones that are more in the open ocean that travel from, like, North America to Europe. So we could have done a sperm whale in the Atlantic Ocean, but whatevs. Um, anyway, um, so they follow the differences of these guys and everything, but it's they just don't, they just don't get into that much of, like, even a story. Like, it doesn't have to have a story, because I don't feel like all nature documentaries have to have a story with it, but it was just very, like... I don't care about story. Okay, like it was just, it was, wasn't even chock full of information. Like they talked about how deep they go, which is crazy, and that they hunt the, um, the giant, giant squid, squid and colossal squid. Yeah, they didn't show any colossal squid, but they do, and there is a giant squid in there that was you it alive? see. No, it was dead. I was assuming. No, yeah, it was, it was dead and floating at the top because they figured what happened. It's probably, um, it probably just came up on like stuck on a jaw mm-hmm. of a sperm whale because it would have gone through it, and then they've looked in. Um, I don't know if it was how they. That. I don't know if it was stomach contents. I don't remember where they... F- oh, no, it was poop. Because mm-hmm. at one point, the guy, the National Geographic um, photographers in the water, you know, filming them, and the one group... Well, he didn't do it with the group. He did it with the, the youngin. She was on her own for a while. So she was like, ooh, who are you? What's up? This is fun. But then he did it with a group of males, and they were like, who are you? <laughs> and, like, yeah. pooped at him to get him away. So then the scientists on the boat were scooping up the poop to, like, analyze the poop, you know, and there were beaks of... Giant squid. Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's cool, but it just wasn't, like, the beluga one was much more interesting. I felt like the um, the humpback whale was much more interesting. This one I was just kind of like, which was kind of sad because I'm like, I feel like I know more about belugas and humpbacks already than I do about sperm whales. So I would have liked to have known more yeah, information. They're difficult to research Research, anyway. which is probably part of it because, I mean, they do say that they have, like, the biggest brain and that they have, um, that they nap so strangely and they don't, they don't sleep very much. Like, they sleep the least of... I don't know if it's anything on Earth or any whale or whatever, but... I believe it's... I believe it's sperm whales sleep the least of any animal on Earth. I think it was any animal on Earth. And then, um... And then, obviously, they dive down, which is cool. Like, the fact that they can even do that and survive the pressure and how they, like... I forget what they said. They, like... I don't know. It was all kinds of great. So, that part's cool, but great. That was one part that was really cool. The rest of it was just kind of, like... Meh, we're just tracking them to see how they're doing. And they're not doing well. Yeah. Mostly because of, um, even more in the boat collisions, like as far as what affects all of them, is the human um, trash, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. And then they showed a ton of sea turtles tangled in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they were just showing it. So, like, when they were out there, they were like, there's a main researcher guy and then the National Geographic photographer guy. And they'd each cut three sea turtles loose since they'd been out there. So it's like, it's ridiculous if we're cutting this many loose. And then it gets tangled around the sperm whales and everybody too. So it's really, really bad. Also, quick side note on that. Because um, I look in trash all the time and it's never done. Your masks that are the the one-time yeah. use, which is what I use because I have to be around people all the time. And I just don't want to have to wash them all the time. So um, 
pull those strings. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure there's no loop. And same thing with like cutting your bottle holder things. Cutting the anything that's circular, cut it. Yeah. Because they can get stuck in it. Like even when I get the Costco toilet paper, I cut that so it's folded yeah. open. One of my friends is an oceanographer. He um, he made a video on his Instagram telling people to cut off the strings because he, they find it a lot with. They're finding it so much, and you don't even have to cut it. You they're not yeah. hard. You just rip it. I do it yeah. every single time when I switch my mask out every day. I rip it and throw it in, and nobody else at work does it, and drives mm -hmm. me nuts. And even just other places, I just them constantly. I'm like, just it. It's two seconds, mm -hmm. not even two seconds. Just do it. But yeah, please keep that in mind. Like ocean water, like just because also like living in San Diego, we see this shit in the water all the time. So, you know, make sure you're cutting anything that has a loop on it. Make sure it's open so that nothing gets stuck inside it. I mean, it's still bad because they'll like they'll eat it thinking it's jellyfish, but at least that's less bad than if they're not getting tangled in it, hopefully. I remember only watching ever two documentaries on TV about sperm whales. <laughs> yeah. One of them was called The Whale That Blew Up. Ew, was that that one that was like out there for forever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and gases build up inside of whale's carcass. and Yeah, then, explode, yeah. yeah. And the other one was uh, Inside Nature's Giants, and it was the episode on a sperm whale where basically they take some of the world's largest animals and they do dissections. Ew. It's really okay. cool. I mean, it's kind of cool, but it makes me yeah. sad at the same time. And day. whenever you dissect large whales, you have to be careful, and you have to, like, first poke a bunch of small holes before you do the big dissection, or else... Oh. Yeah. Good to know. I mean, that's not something I'm going to be running into in my life, I don't mm -hmm. think. So, you know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Did so... they talk about how they got the name sperm whale? No. Yeah, because um, the stuff in the melon, it's called spermaceti. See? They could have talked <laughs> about all of these things, but they didn't. And basically... How it works is that's how the Sendosaur is like blowhole sails close while they're underwater and they pop some air that sends a percussion through the spermaceti and then sends out the sonar. And when they first found them, and because they used that spermaceti for oil for candles in the old days, mm -hmm. they thought it was the whale's sperm and gave it the name sperm whale. Wow. Dumb. I'm also going to say they're not the cutest of whales. They're not. They're like really wrinkly and like it's just weird. There's also two species. I don't think they're in the same family. Um, pygmy sperm whale and a dwarf sperm whale. They're not pretty either. No, they're they're not the cute. <laughs> they're weird. What else? They, oh, there is that thing they're talking about there. I forget what it's called now. It's not a codex, but it's like a code. The way they communicate with each other. So kind of like beluga is not as complicated, but they definitely have their own language and everything. Mm -hmm. And the different whales in different areas had different languages. Mm -hmm. um, and they can, their sonar and everything that they send out, they can rupture a human eardrum. I forget. Mm -hmm. It was like something very large, decibels. But anyway. So they can rupture a human eardrum, so you don't want to just be hanging out yep. when they're testing that because you could, like, die. They can't even kill you. By yeah, so it's pretty powerful <laughs> stuff, man. Um, which I don't know how he was in his little... Because that's how they hunt. Mm -hmm. When they go down below, you don't see anything. So they're just doing their little sonar thing to bounce off stuff. So I'm like, I don't know how, how much that submarine protected you from that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you pat it somehow, but mm -hmm. um, for many reasons. Obviously, it also has to withstand the pressure. But... Anyway, yeah, so it was, um, it's definitely safe, though. Um, probably the safest of all of them, actually. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're good to go on that one. So, eventually, I'm going to get to the orcas. I, I'm pretty confident I can right now say not fucking safe, though, for the orca <laughs> one. Like, I probably don't even need to watch it. So Which would be my favorite one. Yeah. So, you'll probably watch it and be like, oh, it's fine. They don't do anything. And then I'll watch it, and they'll murder everything. <laughs> Ugh, can't stand it. Anyway. 
Um, yeah, so that's a big thing. Also, it made me think of, though, just, like, as far as trash in the oceans and everything, another big one that drives me insane, don't fucking release balloons in the air. Like, if a balloon oh, gets yeah. away on accident, that's fine. Like, it's not fine, but, like, it happened. But don't do, like, gender reveals and all these people who release balloons in the air. I'm like, stop fucking yeah. doing that because it winds up in the oceans and it kills them. It winds up in the deserts it kills animals. Like, it's so bad how often they find balloons. Like, I, on my hiking page... There's a guy who found animals wrapped up in balloons. Like, do not fucking release balloons. Yeah. I know it's like, people will call me insensitive for this, and it's like, don't even do it with, like, loved ones that have passed, and it's like, feel like they're... No! Eventually it comes down. It's like, would no. you, like, go to the ocean and just throw a cup of trash for your loved Basically, ones? Basically, like... there are other things you can do, and that's another thing with, like, the lanterns, because everyone, of course, being a Disney freak, everyone mm -hmm. wants to, like, recreate the tangled lanterns. So mm -hmm. I'm like, are they, if they're biodegradable... Yeah. And they're not going to fuck shit up. Like, that's really pretty to send the lanterns in the air. But, like, it all, everything that goes up has to come down. What yeah. goes up must come down. Same thing with shooting a gun in the air. Like, celebratory shooting gun in the air, people. I'm like, when that bullet comes down and kills someone yeah, in I'm your waiting. neighborhood. My neighbors do that all the time. I was like, I'm waiting for a bullet to come down through my roof. I know. And I'm like, <laughs> Anyway, people are idiots. But, yeah, so please don't this do that. This is why you learn about There are science. so many other things you can do with gender reveals and all kinds of things. And don't release balloons for your family. Don't do, just don't do any balloon releases. I saw, I, I went down to San Diego uh, to look at, um, I can't remember what it's called. It's some stinking cave. Um, we weren't okay. able to walk to it because the tide was too high. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't find the stairs to get down. But there were some people, it's like, I hope it wasn't what I thought, but it felt like the kids, like, they had, like, these notes and balloons. It's like, please tell me you just came from a party or in something, and it's like, you're not going to just release those. Who knows? Anyway, there yeah. are other ways to honor your loved ones. I, Stop honestly, I want a law passed banning balloons. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if it has to go that far. I but... do. But it is sad because, like, even at Disney, like, obviously at Disney, people are very upset when they yeah. lose their balloons because it was, like, a $20 balloon, and it's a child's, yeah. and they're going to be sad. But it's like... Just stop. Like, accidents happen, but don't do it on purpose. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone off on a tangent. Sorry. You could just, like, and I always see people do it. They're lazy at parties. Like, pop the damn balloon at least. They release them just because they're lazy? Yeah. I've seen people do it. What the fuck? You just pop them and throw them. Also, that's the also, fun part. Also, here's another reason why we really shouldn't. We're running out of a helium. Oh. It's a limited resource, and we need it for medical reasons and a whole bunch of other industrial shit. Well... We'll see. <laughs> and it's not like helium's easy to make. It's a noble gas. It's inert. I rarely it's... even use actual helium balloons. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. But it's, honestly, it's something I think we shouldn't even be doing. No, it's pretty bad. Because it's just waste. It honestly is. Yeah, but it's really fun. And that's going to be really hard to yeah. get that out of the American system, especially. Mm -hmm. I'm sure everywhere, but definitely in the American yeah. system. Anyway. Um, but let's move on <laughs> to not killing animals. Just use hydrogen. <laughs> I know the reason why they won't use hydrogen. Things will burn. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very bad. What is the what's the building called? Hindenburg. 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 Yeah, okay. we don't want that happening everywhere. That's bad. Uh, oh my god! To be in a time where that was a mode of travel. <laughs> there still are blimps. It's like nobody uses them anymore. Goodyear. <laughs> well, they don't use they don't use hydrogen anymore. No. So. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, there's a reason. They're also more energy efficient than planes. Anyway. Um, They're just really slow. Really, really slow. And, you know, you might explode. <laughs> it's fine. Mm -hmm. um, at least if you're using hydrogen, which is why we don't. Anyway, but let's move on into what we want to talk about today. So, Casey, 
It has to do with what I talked about, sort of, fossils! last time. Fossils! Yay! But more important fossils. Whatever. Okay. It is more important because this is a contributing to science. Okay, fine. Continue. Yes. So recently, scientists found a skull of a lizard-like animal that has ornaments on it that suggests that it was the ancestor of all lizard snakes and spenodontians. Why did these ornaments on its head make it make them think that it's the ancestor? We'll of get all into of them? that. Okay, all I'm right. surprised you didn't ask what spenodontians are. I didn't, but okay. Yeah, so so that's the group whose only extant member is the tuatara. Oh, okay. So the organism was named Titalura alcoberi, and it has been called the most primitive scaled reptile yet discovered, and is the first fossil of its kind to be found in South America. Okay. The fossil is also the most complete lepidosaur fossil yet found. The lepidosaurs are scaled reptiles that you think of like lizards, snakes, and the tuatara, okay. which make up the most diverse group of terrestrial vertebrates. However, little is known about the evolutionary origins of this group, especially when compared to the other branch of reptile evolution, which led to crocodiles, birds, and turtles. Okay. The fossils show that this reptilian answer was very small, as its skull is only about 32 millimeters long. Wow. This discovery is making scientists reconsider what they know about the Mesozoic reptiles, which were famously known for being enormous. Okay. Scientists are also now starting to rethink where and what to search for in X in their search up for ancestors about ancient reptile evolution. Up until its discovery, the evidence suggested that lepidosaurs originated in the northern hemisphere. Okay. And the specimen was discovered in Ishigualasto Provincial Park in Argentina. It is approximately 11 million years younger than the oldest specimens that have been found in Europe, but okay. is much better preserved. It's an incredibly important find due to the fact that the fossil record is extremely patchy for this group with only a handful of fragmented specimens mostly found in Europe. And the higher quality preservation is going to allow for a better analysis and research that what, than what has been done with previously found fragmented specimens. And a high-resolution micro-CT scanner was used to look at the skull's structure. And scientists found unusual features like their teeth and combination of other in combination with other features um, than they were expecting that you might find with lizards, like how their rows of teeth and just... I would go into more detail, but it involves more technical terms that won't make sense. Okay. <laughs> And in fact, the generic name of the specimen is a combination of Vertaita, which means father in Quechua, and Lura, which means lizard in Kakan. Okay. Mm -hmm. It has features that are more reminiscent of the Tuatara than living lizards, and suggests that lizards represent a deviation in reptile evolution. Oh, snap. Yep. And statistical tools were used to test the likelihood of the evolutionary relationships between Titalura and other reptiles as well as to make estimates of the times that different reptile groups evolved. And these tests supported the relationship in which Taitalura is placed between the true lizards and the Tuatara, and then they are separated from all other reptiles. Oh, okay. And this specimen is approximately 231 million years old, and around this time there was just a single supercontinent called Pangaea. So this fossil find also suggests that early lepidosaurs were likely able to migrate further distances than suspected, 
given that there are also lepidosaurs found in Europe, which would have been thousands of miles separating the two sites. Oh, snap. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. All right, so fancy lizard, basically. It's not a lizard. Well, not a lizard. But Just like the Tuatar is not a lizard. Fancy ancestor of lizards. It's the ancestor of all scaled reptiles. It's cool. <laughs> so excited about it. It is. Oh, my gosh. I need to find the research paper on it. And hopefully it's not behind a paywall. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, that's cool. So we have a cool fossil that's exciting. Mm -hmm. So go team. Um, well, I've decided we're going to talk about another doggie. And I had some trouble deciding who today, but it, we eventually decided together, sort of, <laughs> um, to go with this one, which is a cool doggie. And if you've been to the San Diego Zoo, at least, um, do they have one? Is Yeti? I thought I Yeti, Yeti is a Pyrenees, is. but no, I think right. no, I think you're right. I think Ed Yeti yeah. is an Anatolian. Anyway, if you've been to the, well, I gave it away. It's an Anatolian Shepherd dog, <laughs> um, and uh, they, if you have, they definitely have one at the zoo, and then um, Yeti is one at the um, at the animal park. They pair with the cheetahs a lot there, um, and we'll get into more cheetah-related things. But anyway, so the Anatolian Shepherd, they are independent, loyal, and reserved. I gotta say, AKC kind of let me down on this one with more information on them, but we're gonna start with their history. Oh, before we get to the history, though, oh, you already know. Casey, how popular are they? <laughs> I believe it was 91. 90. 90. Close. Out of 200, they have a popularity of 90. So, when we're getting into the history of the Anatolian Shepherd. Anatolia, or Asia, Asia Minor, is the peninsula that can, constitutes the Asian portion of Turkey. It was at this crossroads of early civilization that sheep and goat herders developed a livestock guardian known as the Coban Kopegi, shepherd's dog, forerunner of today's Anatolian shepherd. The central region of Anatolia is a high plateau of endless plains and rolling hills. Summers are dry and brutally hot, and the winters are snowy with sub-zero temperatures. In this harsh, unforgiving, crucible... The Anatolian Shepherd forged his long-standing reputation as the Flock Guardian Supreme. Ancient artifacts going back to the days of the Babylonian Empire document the breed's ancestors. Assyrian base relief? Bass relief? Sure. I don't know. Assyrian, I'm going to say bass relief carvings housed in the British Museum dating to 2000 BC depict large dogs of recognizable Anatolian Shepherd type. The earliest books of the Bible refer to shepherds whose dogs were most likely some local variation of the Anatolian. So, of course, it gets great with this. The breed's history in America begins in the years immediately preceding World War II, when the Department of Agriculture imported a breeding pair from Turkey to participate in the top-secret <laughs> sheepdog project. The program's objective was to determine which breeds would best be suited for work on the American sheep pastures, with the outbreak of the war, the project was disbanded and the Anatolians and their offspring were dispersed. So American ranchers began importing Anatolians in the post-war 1950s, but the breed really took hold in the country in the 1970s. The credit for firmly establishing the breed in America goes to Lieutenant Robert Ballard, U.S. Navy, who acquired a pair of Anatolians while stationed in Turkey. He brought them home to America and bred his first litter in 1970, providing foundation stock for U.S. breeders. Anyway, the new breeding activity coincided with the passage of the Endangered Species Act, 
and the new law required that ranchers control the population of predatory wolves without killing them. Anatolian shepherds, who would rather intimidate predators than fight them, were perfectly suited for the job. Many Anatolian shepherds are still working ranch jobs today, protecting everything from sheets, goats, to ostrids and llamas. Quick side note before we finish them, because that kind of ties in. So where I first learned about the Anatolian shepherds um, actually comes from their work with cheetahs, with the cheetah, I've already forgotten it, conservation fund? I think mm -hmm. that's what it's called. If Well, you can't now because now they don't do cheetah run because of COVID. But if you go to a cheetah run, what? excuse me, at the animal park, they talk about this. So there's a problem with cheetahs getting blamed for all the livestock being killed over in Africa. Um, but cheetahs are really wimpy and don't go after things and will give up their meals to, like, vultures. They can be chased off by vultures and obviously lions and everything else. So usually if livestock's being killed, it's more by lions, leopards, you know, those kinds of animals. But since cheetahs are out during the day because they're diurnal, ranchers blame the cheetahs for the livestock dying. So they were killing all the cheetahs. So what they did is they sent over a bunch of Anatolian shepherds to guard the flocks of livestock. I guess not a flock if it's like cows. <laughs> but to guard the livestock. And since they've been doing that, they haven't had as many problems. So yay. That's the little offshoot with cheetahs. So they're really cool working dogs. And they live out there all day in, the, in Africa, barking away all the predators. Anywho, so as far as how they are for a family pet, oh yes, we can talk about this too. So their heights, um, they're 29 inches for a male up to the shoulder and 27 for the female. They weigh anywhere from 110 to 150 pounds for the males and 80 to 120 pounds for females. And their life expectancy is 11 to 13 years. Um, they say they're good with kids, they're good with other dogs. They shed moderately. They're not super affectionate. Obviously they're they're working dogs. They want to be out doing their stuff. Um, anyway, and they're very good watchdogs, and they have a very good protective nature. Uh, getting back down to their health things. Okay, so with these guys, it's, I feel like it's always the same. <laughs> Actually, no, I read this wrong. I'm sorry. So um, they're over overall healthy, so hip dysplasia is not common in them, nor is bloat, which happens to a lot of larger mm -hmm. dogs. So basically things they're recommending you keep an eye out for them is hip evaluation and elbow evaluation, which is funny, but hip dysplasia is not a problem, but they want you to evaluate their hips. So that I feel like is, you know, conflicting. Anyway, um, Anatolians have a thick undercoat that protects them from the elements, and some of them have a long outer coat. But on most, it's quite short, and a quick brushing once a week will keep it looking good. So, um, and Anatolians will shed their undercoat twice a year. During shedding season, they will need to be given a thorough brushing out to remove the dead hair with a short bristle brush and possibly a comb as well every few days. Anyway, and of course, always trim the nails. That's your general... Always fun. Always fun. To trim dogs, always a fun thing, yeah. <laughs> they only need a moderate amount of exercise. I mean, obviously, if they're a herding dog, they should be taking care of their own stuff for the most part. So, um, But if you have them in a yard, be sure it has a tall, strong fence and a locked gate. And a long walk once or twice a day is best for these guys. Um, and training, obviously, again, train all dogs. So do that. <laughs> um, they want them to be socialized, though, when they're puppies. But again, that also works for all dogs. And with food, give them good food. That's just basics. Anyway, they're really cool. Um, they're mostly kind of like a whitish color. I mean, they're, I don't know, how would you describe them? They're kind of like a mix between like a lab and... Cream. Okay. But I mean, like, just in general, describing them. Like, they're a creamy color. They are a creamy color, but, like, I feel like, I don't know. 
They're much bigger than a lab, and they look a little different than a lab. Yeah. But anyway, they're really cute. And, of course, the picture of the puppy on AKC is so cute. <laughs> but they're really good dogs because they've been saving cheetahs and farmers' livestock as well, which is also important. But most importantly, the cheetahs. <laughs> um, and it's really cute. And I don't even know if Yeti's still around because she was looking rough last time I saw her. And I've seen her for mm. at least five years, I think. Yeah. So She's kind of old. She's real old. Um, but anyway, she's a super sweetie, though, and it's really cute because back in Cheetah Run, usually they'll have the dog run first, and Yeti's just so cute when <laughs> Yeti just runs down the track. <laughs> I love watching Yeti so yeah. much. Yeti's my favorite dog. She was donated by someone that breed Anatolians. Yeah, she's, I love her. I think she's my favorite um, mm. canine companion. Anyway. Not even Hopper? I do like Hopper, too, but I think, I think Yeti's one of the first ones I saw, Yeah. and I just love her. She's just so cute. Anyway. Um, so yeah, so that is the Anatolian Shepherd, and yay for doggies saving endangered species. Woohoo, go for it. Anyway, but that brings us to our picks, and it was Casey's choice this time. Yes. I feel like everything you're trying to do is just just be pure Dutch <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, for the category, it was European National Animals. Great. So I picked the National Bird of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Which is the black-tailed godwit. Which I've not heard of before, so yes. take it away. So, as I mentioned, it's the national bird of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Because if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Whatever. <laughs> if you ain't Irish, you ain't stylish. That doesn't really work out, but we'll <laughs> <just> move on. <laughs> Their scientific name is Limosa Limosa. That's fun. Yeah. And they have a large range across much of the old world. There are resident populations in much of Western Europe, as well as in parts of Asia and Northern Africa. There are also non-breeding native populations in Central Africa and Oceania. Wow, okay. During the breeding season, this species inhabits wet grassland habitat, while in the winter months they live in estuaries and marshes. And this species is a relatively large species of wading bird in this family Scolapacidae, which are also known as the sandpipers. Okay. They are 36 to 44 centimeters long with a 76 centimeter long wingspan. Okay. They weigh about 280 to 340 grams. And the life expectancy for this species averages around 18 years, but can live into their 20s. Okay. It is very social, and they will gather in large flocks while foraging for food by using their beaks to probe the mud for invertebrates. All right. They are a monogamous species that often mates for life, and the pair will meet up with each other every year at the same breeding grounds, usually within three days of each other. Do we feel like most birds are monogamous, or is it like half and half? It's typically um, migratory birds. Okay. It's very common with, like, um, raptors. Okay. Which these are not. No, they're not. <laughs> but a lot of migratory birds are monogamous. Okay. And birds are probably the ones that have the highest frequency of monogamy. Okay. Yeah. This species is currently listed a... Oh, wait. Yeah. yeah, so as I mentioned, they usually meet up with each other within a few three days, and they will also share the responsibility of raising the chicks. Good job, birds. This species is currently listed as near-threatened by the IUCN Red List. Their global population is currently in decline, and the European population is listed as vulnerable, and that population is also in decline. One of the biggest threats is due to wetland drainage and agricultural development as a leading cause for habitat loss. 
In fact, thousands of Dutch citizens signed a petition last year to oppose an airport that was going to be built in Portugal that rested on the bird's wetland habitat. Oh. Mm -hmm. Several European nations have done work to better manage their breeding habitat and are trying different agricultural methods in areas where the godwits are native. However, results of these practices have been very mixed. Okay. Conservationists have also used the black-tailed godwit as an umbrella species to help protect other species of wading and meadow birds that inhabit the same habitat. People care about them more than the other birds? Typically. Okay. There you go. That is the black-tailed godwit. Yes. That's fun. I went pretty basic, um, mostly because I just have to put it out there that when I, I just Googled basically like national, European national animals, and the UK is crazy, mostly apparently to Scotland, but it's not just Scotland. Prop Scotland. Yeah, go Scotland. Their national animal is the unicorn, <laughs> and they have, a lot of other countries have non, you know, fictional animals, and then a lot of them have extinct animals, and then some have animals that are not in their area, so it's very weird. Anyway, so I went pretty basic, but also we haven't talked about this species yet, and they're really cool, so like, excuse to talk about them. Woot. So I chose the um, Eurasian lynx, which is technically the unofficial national animal of Romania, but it's the national animal of Romania. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, oh my god, this is my favorite scientific <laughs> name ever. Oh. Well, no, I still do love the Sagittarius Serpentarius, but uh. lynx lynx. Is their name? What? That's amazing. Is the Canadian lynx different? What is theirs? The Canadian lynx, uh, probably a lynx canadensis, but That's let me awesome. see. That's awesome. Anyway, okay, so the Eurasian lynx is lynx lynx. It has one of the largest geographical ranges for cat species. Its range extends from Western Europe. I was right. <laughs> to Russia, to Central Asia. In Europe and Russia, they typically inhabit deciduous and boreal forests. And in Asia, they tend to reside in open wooded regions as well as more arid habitats. I feel like they're kind of like bobcats. They're kind of all over the place. Bobcats are technically a lynx. Okay, well, fine, whatever. <laughs> anyway, it is the third largest predator in all of Europe, next only to the brown bear and wolf. They are also the largest of the four lynx species. 90 to 110 centimeters long, and they weigh 15 to 28 kilograms. They are known to live up to 17 years in the wild and can live into their 20s in captivity. Like all feline species, they are obligate carnivores. They are known to prey on small mammals like hares, but you definitely spelled it butt like a butt butt. I did? <laughs> yep. Hares <Oops>. butt. <laughs> Take that one again. Are they just eating the butt? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they are known to prey on small mammals like hares, but they typically hunt ungulates like roe deer. What's a roe deer? I don't know it's what that is. It's a species of deer, deer obviously, Europe. but like I just haven't seen a roe deer specifically. Anyway, they are known to haul prey up into a tree similar to how leopards do, especially if they live in areas with competition from other predators. Because they prey on ungulates, their populations don't fluctuate due to rabbit populations like their American counterparts do. In terms of their coat pattern, there is a cline from their northern population down to the southern population. What is a cline, Casey? Cline is where typically it is used in terms of like species hybridization zones, um, but it can also be used for a general description. But basically, it will show a general, it can typically be a gradual cline where it's just a smooth transition. In terms of like species, it's like 
where it's one species and then there's the hybrids and then no, the other species. I feel like that did not Typically answer that Typically where at all. it goes. But in this one, it t deals with their coat pattern yeah. related to their environment in which it will transition so it from one coat okay. to the other. Okay. Anyway, those in the northern region are usually grayer and have few spots. Those in the southern range tend to be browner in color with more spots. This cat has fairly long legs. All lynxes have long legs. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, this cat has fairly long legs with the hind limb being longer than those in the front, giving them great jumping ability. They also have broad, furry feet that act as snowshoes while walking across the snow. They're just so silly looking, honestly, with those giant feet. Anyway, um, they're listed as least concerned by the IUCN Red List. Their global population is currently stable. There is a subpopulation in the Mediterranean that is listed as endangered. And some of the major threats to this population are illegal skin trade, terrible, habitat loss, and decrease in available prey. So that is the Eurasian lynx. Super cool. And the black-tailed godwit. Go national animals of Europe. I couldn't even find one for Ireland. <laughs> I, maybe it was. It was just looped in the UK one, I'm sure. Yeah. But anyway. But that is going to bring us to... Our animal of the week. And are you ready, Casey? Sure. Our, <laughs> wow, that sounded confident. Our animal of the week this week is... The common European adder. The European adder, which I basically made him do, mostly for stupid reasons, because he used to watch a show with my mom called The Black Adder. What was it, it was about, even? Funny. It, dude, I was like six. <laughs> It was a British, like, silly ridiculousness. I'm pretty sure, um, I want to say Hugh Laurie was in it. I'm going to have to look that up now. Yeah. But anyway, but either way, a snake in Europe. You don't hear about snakes in Europe a lot. Yes, there's reasons. Yeah, well, here we go. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about them. Yeah. They're awesome. Tell us about just them. Just as a side fact, this is the only uh, viper species that is will colloquially be called just adder. So anything venomous or vi viperous? How do you even say that? Adders, all adders are vipers. There you go. Great. Yeah. So these guys come from the order Squamata. Those are the snakes and lizards. Okay. Specifically, they're in the family Viperidae, which are the vipers. And the scientific name for this species is Vipera baris. Okay. This species has one of the largest natural geographic ranges amongst the venomous snake species and can be found from the United Kingdom to the Pacific coast of Asia. It has the unique distinction of being the only venomous snake in the United Kingdom. What? But not in Ireland. Okay. Given this large range, the species also occupies many different habitats, including woodlands and shrubland, grassland, meadows, and even marshes. However, the species tends to prefer temperate climates and lives in regions with plenty of ground cover for it to find shelter. Mm-hmm. They have a relatively long lifespan of about 10 to 15 years, and they are sexually dimorphic with the females getting larger than the males. They can average around 60 centimeters in length, and the largest females can get up to 80 to 90 centimeters. Nice. And they weigh usually around 50 to 100 grams. Okay. And like most snake species, the bulk of their diet consists of small mammals like mice, rats, voles, and shrews. They will also prey on amphibians and small birds on occasion as well. Are they eating our Bavarian pine vole? No, they don't live in that region. Great. Yeah. Everyone's happy then. <laughs> and 
and due to the cold climate in Europe, this species will hibernate from late fall to early spring. Mm -hmm. This is among the few times you will see adders together as they will communally hibernate in a chamber known as a hibernaculum. Okay. But are otherwise solita a solitary species. As the temperature drops more in the winter and fall months, the adders will move deeper into the hibernacular to ensure they are not dealing with temperatures below freezing. And in areas without as cold of weather conditions in its range, this species does not hibernate and will remain active throughout the entire year. Wow. And during the first few weeks after hibernations, the males will spend much of their time basking, which helps to initiate sperm production as they wait for the females to come out of the hibernaculum. Oh. Yeah. Females, on the other hand, will bask more frequently when they are pregnant to aid with the development of their offspring. Okay. And this is a viviparous species, so the female will give birth to live young oh, rather than lay eggs. I do think baby snakes are so cute. <laughs> They're so they cute. And like other members of the viper family, this species has hinged fangs with hollow tubes for delivering venom. And this is a great adaptation adaptation for the vipers because it allows the fang to fold flat while it's not in use, which allows their fangs to become very large and deliver venom deep into their prey. Effective. Yes. And since the fangs are hollow with the venom gland near the base of the fang, allows for a very efficient delivery system to the tip of the fang as opposed to several other snakes in other families. The snake will deliver a quick bite when the prey walks by and then just let it go away and then it'll follow its scent trail later on. <laughs> wow. Yep. And during the mating seasons, if males run into each other, they will fight each other for access to females in the area. And they'll do this by raising their bodies up and then they will twist around each other and attempt to push the other one to the ground. It's pretty much how rattlesnakes fight too, right? Yep. Yep. And females are pregnant for about three to four months and give birth near the time of their hibernation period. So the and the offspring have fat reserves and a yolk sac to sustain them during this time. And due to the timing of their births, this species of adder does not immediately disperse and may stay around their mother for the first few months of their life. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this species is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN red list. And the global population is currently in decline with the biggest threat is habitat loss due to certain agricultural methods and development which has led to a much more fragmented distribution. Mm, okay. How long do you think... How long do you think it would take for most of their prey to die once they envenomate it? Uh, on average, it can take a while for venom to take effect. It can... Some snakes will kill their prey within 30 minutes. I know other ones, it can take over an hour. Oh, that would suck. Yeah. It would suck a lot. Mm -hmm. So many horrible ways to die in nature. Anyway, yeah. I, you're yes. actually it takes much longer for venomous snakes to kill their prey than constrictors. That makes sense. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I also did just double check to make sure I was not crazy. Yes, Hugh Laurie was in Black Adder. So was <laughs> Rowan Atkinson, um, Mr. Bean. So there you go, and other people, but. Laura is really the most important. But yes, so that is our animal of the week, the common European adder, which is uh, common but also cool because it's Europe and you just don't expect a lot of snakes in Europe, which I'm sure they would prefer <laughs> to not have snakes. I wonder if that's people's nightmares when they come out to California. 
I think it's like I would Ar- love to see more. Arizona snakes. has like eleven species of rattlesnake or something ridiculous. Like there's just so many there's so many venomous snakes out here. And we don't even have to deal with like the freaking cottonmouths and cottonmouths. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's cotton mouth, up- and it's also what people always think they see, and it's very rarely a cotton mouth. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> those and of course coral snakes and all these things. Anyway, mm-hmm. but um, all right. So that was our animal of the week. And Casey. Yes, Addie. What do you call a snake that builds things? I don't know. A boa constructor. Oh, thank <laughs> <my> gosh. <laughs> I love it. Anyway. All right, well, that brings us to our challenge, and um, since I have not had time to fix our cup debacle, we are doing something else today. So we're going to go back to our, um, our we have to name animals with a certain amount of letters oh, and their Lord. name, and I am using one of my trusty D8s. Actually, these usually do not roll well for me, which is bad in our case, because that means it'll be low, and that'll be really hard. Oh, boy. If it's like three or under, we're re-rolling. Um, so we're going to use my little D8, my D&D D8, to help us decide. Four. We can do four. It's going to suck, but we can do it. I'm going to say with this, we can go real simple. Okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And I'm even going to say, I think we can include plurals. Okay. (laughs) So, because I have a feeling this is going to be rough. (laughs) We're not doing alphabetical or it's just... No, no. you're just naming animals that have four letters in the name. But we can make it simple. Obviously, we're not going to do, like, you know, an Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake is not going to fit in four letters. Yeah, not going to make it. So, okay, let's do five minutes. Get your timer going because we trust it more, even though I have a new phone. Five minutes. I think five is it. Yeah, only five, Casey. (laughs) We're not doing this again. (laughs) That was funny. I was like, why are we getting so many? I feel like this is taking forever. (sighs) Okay, it's ready. Okay, so let let me just say, so we have four letters, okay? Animals with four letters. And odds or evens, Casey? Odds. Nope, I'm going first. Okay. Um, all right, so here we go. And start. Lion. Vole. Okay. Um, this is hard to keep track and do this at the same time. Fish. <laughs> oh, boy. Might. Okay. Um, nope, that's five. Um... Plurals count, so mice. Tick. Okay. Um, that's five. <laughs> um, God, there's a lot of fives. Um, I don't, I'm gonna have to be really bad. I'm sorry, cats. Crow. Okay, good job. Look at you actually making this work. Um, deer. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did I say mice? You said mite, and I said mice. No. Rats. Okay. <laughs> We're just going to be doing just that. Yeah. Dogs. <laughs> Good lord. Cats. I already said cats. Damn it. <laughs> um, bats. Okay. <laughs> rats. I said rats. Oh, you did? Oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, hang on. Um, um, cows. <laughs> cows. <laughs> Goat. Go- Good job. Look at you getting a real one. Um, okay, let's try to not be so bad. Um, okay, let's see. A, um, damn it, that's five, too. There's so many fives. Um, a, no, I'm gonna, oh, bird. Yes, bird. <laughs> I didn't trust myself. Hair. Good job. 
Um, okay. Um, eels. Moth. <laughs> Good job. Um, you won't accept that, so I won't say that one. Um, we'll say... Um, oh, we've already done that. I'm running out now. Oh, no. Um, pigs. Flea. Look at you actually coming up with things. <laughs> a gnat. That's four, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, crab. Okay. Um... Um, quite a lot of animals have a lot of letters in their name. <laughs> I'm like, piranha, that's not a thing um, that fits with this. Um, nope, that's too long. Um, there has to be, like, a bird. Nope, that's too long. I know, <laughs> it's so stupid. No, it's five. I have a lot of fives. Oh my god, I'm dying on this. Four is really difficult. Um, I'm not, why am I thinking tomatoes? That's not even an animal. What's happening? Frog. Worm. Toad. Uh. Gosh, damn it. Uh. Yeah, this is really difficult. Oh, there's one. Okay, I have one. I know one for birds, but it's so stupid. Okay, just say it. We're, we're desperate. Tits. Okay, that's fine. That is really stupid, but... Bear! Come on! Hogs. Good job. Um... Elks. Boar. <laughs> okay. Um... 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 There have to be bugs. Like, I was going to say bugs, but I knew you wouldn't accept it, so I didn't say bugs. Yeah. Um, you already said fleas, or flea. Mm -hmm. um, they're all so long. I know a few. My brain is, like, just dying because it can't pick an area to try and, like, you know, focus on. Mm -hmm. Um... We already said bird too, right? I mm -hmm. think we did. Yep. Um, they're so long. Um, nope, that's too long. A barb. Bees. Oh. Ants. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but still, we're having to do plurals, which is cheating. Nope. We did twenty-eight. That was pretty sad. Yeah. Okay, dice. I say I was the MVP. Next time we need um next time we need a higher than four. A seven. <laughs> That's rough. <sighs> All right. Well, uh. there we go. So that that brings us to the end. Thank you for listening. As always, we're your host Allie. And Casey. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Animal Addicts Podcast.